Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. Your seats this morning, just wish somebody beside you happy birthday. I knew it'd make you smile because some people you can't say happy Father's Day. I was in the back and uh, all of my Filipino aunts were back there and they said, oh, Pastor Matt, happy Father's Day. And I wanted to say happy Father's Day back to them. But that would be awkward to all of my Filipino aunts back there. So uh, to all of you who are fathers this morning, happy Father's Day. And you can wish it back to me. Yeah, thank you, because I'm a father as well. It's so good to have you here this morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Psalms. And as you're turning, uh, you'll notice that it feels like summer around here. Tonight, if you enjoyed the music this morning, we are having a night of praise at 5 o'clock. And uh, that will kick off every Sunday evening throughout the year. We'll be having special events after the evening services. We're having a pickleball tournament tonight. Yes, it's going to be amazing. A pickleball tournament. And uh, we're going to give Otter Pops. And the whole purpose is just so that we can enjoy each other, hang out, and fellowship in this time that we call summer. I'm so glad that you're here. If you have your Bible, Psalm chapter 1 is where we're going to start today. And we're starting a series entitled The Songs of Summer. I love music. In fact, watching you all sing this morning just blessed me. And watching our team up here singing. And music has such a powerful influence in our life. There are certain songs that if I were to play that song in your life, it would bring a, a, a specific memory, wouldn't it? There are certain songs that we bring to times of happiness. Last week was Justin's birthday, so if I were to say, to sing to him, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, dear Justin, happy birthday to you. It's a special song for a special occasion for a special time. There are certain songs that when we hear them, they bring sadness, right? But songs will oftentimes bring memories with us, and that's what we're going to be looking through, the book of Psalms, and we're going to start today in chapter number one. If you're with me, say yes. Yes. The Bible says this in Psalm chapter one, in verse number one, the scripture says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Would you join me for prayer? Lord, we've just read one of your songs, a psalm, a poem that was set to music and been preserved for us for thousands of years, and there's great truth in it. And so today, Lord, we want to learn the truth that you have for us. May we practice the principles that we learned today and use them for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The first of my friends to get a car was a guy named Chris Cope. 
And Chris Cope was about two years older than me when I was uh, about 13 and a half. He got this car, and it was a great car. It was a Mazda Mirage. It was a late 80s year Mazda Mirage. John, what year was it? You don't remember? You drove it for a little while. But uh, it's it was late 80, I think it was an 86 or an 87 Mazda Mirage. And this Mazda Mirage, when you're 16 years old, and your friend, when you're 14 years old and your friend gets a car, it's like the coolest thing. When what, your circle of friends get their car for the first time. And this was my first friend with his first car, 1986 Mazda Mirage. Before he got his license, we went over to his house. He lived on a ranch, uh, a ranch house near Alexander and Buffalo. And his mom and my mom were doing something. He said, hey, you got to come see my car. I said, okay, let's go see it. And he got the keys and we went out to the car and... Uh, uh, our moms were doing stuff in the kitchen. He said, let's drive it. I said, I don't know how to drive it. He said, well, I do. What we'll do is we'll, we'll put it in neutral and you just push it out so my mom doesn't hear us starting the car. And so you just push the car out and uh, I'll drive it. And I said, okay. So he got in the driver's seat, put it in neutral and he started backing it up and I started pushing and we pushed that car right into the mailbox. He's like, oh, no. And so we pushed it back up and tried to pretend like everything was good. The only problem was the mailbox was now uneven and on the ground. When Chris got that car and finally turned 16, uh, we were doing an event out here. And it was around the summer, if I remember, near Memorial Day. And there wasn't a whole lot of things out here back at that time, back in uh, the, the mid-90s. Uh, there was no Best Buy. There was no Chevron. There was, there was very little things here. And so my dad said to Chris and I, Chris, would you be willing to go to the store and pick up some ice for the event? And for me, that was like, cool. <laughs> we get to drive in a car with our own friends. We said, yeah, the closest place was on Rainbow in Charleston, where there's an Albertsons now. He said, if you go over there, you can pick up some ice. Here's some money. So we got in the car, and Chris opened up the music that was available to us. And he opened up his volume of CDs, and when he opened up this volume of CDs, he pulled out a brand new CD, and he put it into his Sony Discman. And as he put it in his Sony Discman, he didn't take out the earphones because Chris was rich. He had a car adapter that you could actually plug into the cassette player, and you could listen to CDs as you were driving along. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Say yes. Oh, wasn't that the best life? You have this whole volume of music. The poor kids with their Pandora and Spotify will never know the joys of looking through an album of music. The song he put on as we turned from Westlake Mead onto Rainbow was a song by a guy named Tom Cochran, and the song went like this, life is a highway, and on that night, we wrote it all night long. Now, some of the kids were introduced to it through Lightning McQueen, okay? But I first learned about life is a highway, I will ride it all night long in the Mazda Mirage, 1986. Every time I hear that song, it takes me right back to that place. It makes me think about Chris. and makes me think about being a teenager and, and growing that whole time of my life. If you have a song like that, say yes. yes. It's a song that just takes you back to this place, takes you back to this memory, helps you remember exactly what was going on. And, and sometimes there's good memories with music, aren't there? And sometimes there's sad memories with music. 
I've done a number of funerals, and, and there have been many times where we'll do a slideshow of the person who's deceased, and those songs come by, and the words of the lyrics of those, so- the lyrics of those songs just, oh, they bring memories. Our study this summer is taking specific psalms from a songbook. When you open up your Bibles and you see the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms is literally a songbook from Christians. It's thousands of years old. Most of the Psalms were written in Hebrew, and they were talking about the attributes and the work of God. That's what this study is all about. A Psalm, whenever somebody mentions it, is simply a poem set to music. So when we read this together, like we just went through, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, there might not be a meter or rhythm to it because the original poem was written in Hebrew. And so when it translates over, we're not getting the rhyming vowels and consonants at the end, but for the Hebrews, it would have had a very good meter with it most of the time. It would have been something that would have been uh, very smooth and easy to listen to. In this poem, somebody would have added music to it. The greatest of the songwriters was a guy by the name of King David, the same one that threw a rock and lodged it in the forehead of Goliath, that same guy. He wrote over 70 of the Psalms. Moses wrote some. There was a guy named Asaph who was a paid songwriter. His whole job was to write psalms. And so when we read the book of Psalms, we're literally reading a songbook of poems that were set to music. Unfortunately, we don't have the music for them today. Wouldn't that be interesting to hear what those psalms look like? What was the original rhythm and the melody of those psalms? We don't have that today, but we do have those words. When we read the book of Psalms, it's a collection of 150 of the Psalms of God's people. The themes are varied. So some of the Psalms you'll read, and they're, they're times of praise, like, oh, this is great. And then there's times of thanksgiving, oh, Lord, thank you for what you've done. And then there's times where I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, that's a time of sorrow. And then there's Psalms that are in times of discouragement, I'm going through this difficult time. I'm going through this, this, this challenge. And so the Psalms are all over the place because when you read them, it's like reading a songbook. And so there's not necessarily themes to them, it, it, like a chrono- chronology, like you might read through in the book of Matthew. It's a collection of songs for specific events. When we get to Psalm chapter 1, it's the opening of the Psalms, and it starts with a very strong word. If you're with me, look at that first word in Psalm chapter 1 and verse number 1. At the count of three, would you say that word? One, two, three. It's blessed. Or blessed, we say, because we're in church and we know how to bless it. (laughs) It's the word blessed. It comes from a Hebrew word. We're going to see it in a minute. But the word literally means happy. The Hebrew word that it comes from is this Hebrew word, esher. Now, I'm not going to bore you down with my great knowledge of ancient Hebrew because there's very little to talk about there. But what the word means is this. It means happy. Happy. Say that word with a smile. Happy. Yeah, it's a good word. In this verse, the exact same word, esher, is translated blessed or blessed. In other places, the idea is, how'd they get so happy? They're they're just so happy. This person is really happy. And this whole Psalms theme is showing us that number one, happiness is available. Now think about that for a second. 
Because sometimes we feel like happiness is a myth. We're just here for a short time. And I don't know, have you ever been around a group of people and they've said something similar to this? I don't know what's going to happen with this next generation. Have you heard something like this? I don't, it's just, oh, we live in Las Vegas. We live in America. We live on planet Earth. And it's as if there's a mythical dream of happiness. But verse number one, in the very first word of God's songbook says that happiness is available. It's not just some game. It's not just some pretend thing to help us comfort ourselves in times of difficulty. The Bible says you can be happy. Well, what is happiness then? If, is, happiness, is happiness having this uh, great wealth? Is happiness having great prosperity? Is happiness this, this sense of peace that can only be described by the word peace in times of solitude and momentum, uh, uh, moments of, of great, great comfort? Is that what happiness is? The Bible gives us a definition of what happiness. The exact same word is used in three different places. The Bible uses the word happiness in reference to the nation of Israel. When Moses, who took the children of Israel out of Egypt, and he took them to the Red Sea, can you imagine how tragic that would have been to be at the precipice of the Red Sea, and you look back, and here comes the Egyptian armies led by Pharaoh and all of their chariots and all of their wealth and all of their might, and they're ready to kill them some Hebrews. And the Bible tells us that God speaks to Moses, and he says, Moses, take your rod and stretch it over the Red Sea. And what happens to the water? The water starts to, starts to bank up on the left side and on the, and on the right side, and, and then it goes on the right and the left, and all the waters are gone, and Moses said, let's go, and they start to walk through on soggy ground, right? What kind of ground? They walk through on dry ground, and as they walk through on dry ground, can you imagine the kids looking at that? Could you imagine the adults looking at this? And then the Egyptian army, as the entire, the entire nation gets to the other side, the Egyptian army says, well, if they did it, we can do it too. Yeah, giddy up. And they start to ride through. And in a demonstration of the power of God, he releases the boundaries that had kept the Red Sea from encompassing the children of Israel. And a great deluge falls upon the Egyptians and they all die. Those who would have killed the children of Israel are now drowned in the bottom of the Red Sea. Can you imagine what the sight would have been as the children of Israel were watching those who were their nemesis, those who would have defeated them, those who would have taken their lives and put their children in prison. Can you imagine what that scene would have been like? Probably like this. <laughs> Where a whole community of people start celebrating and reveling because if you live in Las Vegas, you're a world champion. I imagine that's what it looked like on the other side of the Red Sea. Cheering and celebration. The word happiness is that picture. That's what the word happiness is. The word happiness is also used in reference to a person who enjoys their job. 
when King Solomon is being counseled by the Queen of Sheba, she looks around and the servants who are coming in and the people who are taking care of the horses and those who are tending to their every need. She makes this observation and she uses the exact word as blessed. It's just translated happy here. It says, happy are thy men. Happy are these servants which continually before thee and hear thy wisdom. When everyone comes in here, they're just happy. Like even the guy shining the shoes, even the guy taking care of the horses, even the guy cleaning up after the horses. He's saying words like, it's my pleasure. They're enjoying their work. There is something very satisfying about enjoying what you do. Going to work every day, and it's not, oh, I gotta do this. I get to go to work. It's a new challenge. It's a new adventure. There's satisfaction in my career choice. There's a, a conquering. There's a, there's a victory and a win that's happening each and all. It doesn't mean that everything's cupcakes and ponies, but it does mean that I enjoy my job. And when you find a place where you go to work every day, it's no longer a job. It's an adventure. And that word for the servants of God excuse me, the servants of Solomon are saying, oh, I'm happy. What do you do? Oh, I love my job. Oh, I'm happy to do it. The excitement of a great victory, the the happiness of doing a good day's work and enjoying the product of your labor. He also uses this word in reference to a family. The word esher is translated in Psalm 127 verse 5 when he says, happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. A man who has a good relationship with all of his children. He's, he's a happy guy. It reminded me, as I was studying, it reminded me of last Sunday night. So last Sunday night, we had missionaries up here. We had four families. And many of you, oh, church, you were so generous to these missionaries. And you just gave them so much. In fact, as a church, we we committed $355,000 to missions last Sunday in the services. And then we gave these families about $15,000 worth of iPads and uh, little Debbie's cookies and shoes and clothes. It was just a special service. And if you were in the service last Sunday night, you know how special it was. My favorite moment of the night is whenever this family, the Anderson family, was standing about over here. And as they were standing, all the toys and gifts were brought in, and you got to see Skyla. And Skyla, with her little four-year-old self, she couldn't contain herself and be composed like she was supposed to be on the platform. When the baby dolls were brought up, Skyla picked up a baby doll, and she was just ooing and aahing all over it. And I said, hey, Skyla, show everybody the baby doll. And that was the look on Skyla's face because she just got a baby doll. And if you were in the church service last Sunday night, if you didn't have a tear in your eye, there's something wrong with you. Because it was just like, (laughs) and it wasn't a tear of sorrow. There was happiness. There was happiness. Why? Look at, look at that little girl. She's happy that she got a baby doll. But whoever bought that baby doll, oh, happy. That's the theme that God is giving in Psalm one here. It's translated blessed. But it's, it's the exact same word. That happiness. Yeah, we are world champions. It's happiness. Had a great day at work today. It's happiness. Oh, look at the, the smile on my baby girl's face. 
That's the word. And it's not a myth. It's not something that cannot ever really be seen until this side of heaven. The Bible tells us that happiness is available. It's real. But it doesn't, also, it doesn't just say that happiness is available. It shows us, number two, that happiness is attainable. Happiness is not just for five-year-olds or incredible world elite hockey players. Happiness is available for me and for you, for senior citizens and high school students, for middle-aged people plowing through this minivan life. Happy For me, yes, happiness is available for you even if you drive a minivan. Isn't that an amazing thing? The Bible teaches us that happiness is available and it's attainable. Look how happiness is attained. Look at verse number one. The Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. He shows us, number one, that right companions help us to bring happiness. All of us could tell the story of someone we knew that as a kid, they're a good kid but they got involved with the wrong friends. If you could tell that story, say yes. Isn't that amazing? Oh, they were a good kid. They were sharp. They were smart, athletic, had a smile like you wouldn't believe. But they just got around the wrong friends. And God here describes three types of companions that should always be avoided. Well, I want to have a happy life. Oh, if you want to have a happy life, stay away from these type of companions. Number one, he talks about the ungodly. The ungodly, the Bible says, you should not, should not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You're not driving in a car with them. You're not walking through the halls with them. You're not listening to their podcasts. Hello? You're not watching their television series. You're not allowing them to speak into you in their lives. Why? Because it's the counsel of the ungodly. What is an ungodly person here? Well, here the Bible talks about an ungodly person as somebody who is morally wrong and actively evil. They, they are predicated upon two things. The ungodly here is somebody who is doing that which is morally wrong and actively evil. Now, before we go forward, we have to make this, we have to make this proclamation. None of us are perfect. We've all sinned, haven't we? I'm no better than you. You're no better than me. We've all sinned. And the Bible tells us that because we are such bad sinners, God had to become a man in the person of Jesus Christ and allow his body to be beaten to a tree with nails and a crown of thorns to be placed upon his head and spit to be uh, flung into his face and his back to be beaten. And Jesus died on a cross because our sin is so bad. So there's no perfect person here. And since Jesus is a person who loves us, the God of the universe who loves us, he allowed his body to be broken to pay for our sins. He was buried and three days later he rose from the dead proving that he's God and everything he said is true. And he offers salvation free of charge to anyone who will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So my question to you is, have you accepted Christ as your savior? 
do you know for sure you're going to heaven? If you haven't, you can receive the free gift of salvation by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today. If you haven't done that, can I tell you, there's a God in heaven that died so that you could spend eternity with him. And there's a church here that would love to celebrate you coming to know Jesus Christ as your savior. You do not have to die and go to hell. But the Bible teaches us this. There are those who live ungodly. They live morally wrong. This is right, I'm going to do that which is wrong. This is good, I'm going to do that which is bad. In their business dealings, they rip people off. In their friendships, they talk about their friends to other people. They gossip. They, they steal. They have no problem allowing their lust to run rampant through their internet viewing. They, they have no problem with that. They're morally wrong. And this is what's interesting. The kicker on it, they're actively evil. So I know this is wrong, but I'm going to just continue doing it anyway. I will celebrate my pride. That used to be an avarice, used to be something that was a deadly sin. Now we will celebrate it, promote it, accept it, and laud it as something that is good. Ungodly, the Bible says, if you want to be happy, don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't, don't listen to them. Well, I think you should do this. Yeah, but you're ungodly. Well, I think you should do this. Yeah, but you're ungodly. Imagine if you had a decision that you needed to make, and in that decision that you had to make, you'd come up to me, Pastor, I'm going to make this decision. I said, that sounds good. Have you got any advice about it? Yes. In fact, my good friend was just telling me that he thinks I should do it. Oh, how do you know him? Oh, he's really good. His business is exploding. He's doing really well. What does he do? He robs banks. Your friend robs banks? Yes. In fact, he's very good at it. In fact, he's looking to expand into California and Utah very soon here. And uh, he's giving me some advice. Well, I would be a bad pastor if I didn't say, stop listening to the bank robber. Why? He's actively doing evil. Don't get advice from a bank robber. Why? Because they are not going to give moral clarity. They are actively doing evil, and yet so often we will encompass our uh, decisions by the counsel of the ungodly. God says, if you want to be happy, avoid the ungodly. Don't listen to the counsel of the ungodly. Number two, he says, don't stand in the way of sinners. Isn't it interesting? Do you see the movement here? I'm walking in the counsel of the... Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. But now I stand in the way of sinners, the word sinner here is a description of somebody who is convicted or a known criminal. They have done wrong, and all of society says they have done wrong. They are, it's bad. That is bad. They're bad people. Why? Because they've done bad things. They've been committed for doing bad things. They are known criminals. The Bible says with that known element of evil, have no business with them. Don't stand there. And drink a beer. Don't stand there, smoke a cigarette. Why? Because you are now in the circle or the environment of known criminals. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Stay away from the ungodly. Number two, when you know somebody's bad, you get as far away from them. Don't ever stand in their counsel. And then he says, number three, don't sit in the seat of the scornful. A scorner is somebody who is a laugher. 
He's a mocker. You could say it this way. He's the ambassador of evil. The ringleader, if you will. He's the one who, come on guys, we're not going to listen to him. And he's, he's leading others astray actively. Why? Because in their circle, this is what they talk about. Why? Because as they were ta- walking, they came to this conclusion, we're going to do this, and then they are leading it. There's a progression that comes, and God says, don't even listen, don't walk, don't talk, and don't sit with those who are scorners, sinful, and ungodly. Can I ask you this question? In your week, are you allowing scorners to influence you? In your past week, is there ungodly that are influencing you? Are there sinners that you are receiving into your counsel or into your circle of influence? The Bible says this, if you want to be happy, blessed. Happy is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. He says, you should remove that. Well, what do I replace that with? Notice what he says. You get right counsel. Verse number two says, his delight shall be in the law of the Lord. His delight shall be in the law of the Lord. Why? Because my, my, the thing that brings me happy is not sitting around drinking beers with my friends anymore. What makes me happy is now the word of God. All the word of God brings happiness into my life. I will delight in the law of the Lord. All. So I Take a decision that I'm going to focus deliberately on something that is different than what the ungodly, what the sinners, and what the scornful are doing. I am going to delight in a different tactic. What is the thing that I'm going to delight in? Well, number two, it says the law of the Lord. So here's this theory. You avoid, avoid, avoid. Here's the theory. You put a delight something that is a theory, an aesthetic, and you put it in the law of the Lord. That's real. Then he gives us practical steps. And in his law, doth he meditate how often? One of the reasons Christians are weak is because we know about God, but we don't spend any time knowing God. We know about this book, but we spend very little time throughout the week reading this book. We get in the car and we have our music stations or we have our podcasts or we have our books and we invest and digest so much content. But here's the practical step. God wants you to read his Bible. Did you read your Bible this week? Such a good question, isn't it? Well, I went to church. Different question. Because here he's showing you a discipline on how to be happy. The discipline for being happy is reading the Bible. How often? In the morning and at night. But what should I do? Read it. How? Using consonants and vowels, conjugating sentences together, you read it. And then the Bible says, think about it. You ever read something and not thought about it? Hello, user agreements on every single website. (laughs) God doesn't want us to click the bottom. Check, clicked, I agree to all the terms. Isn't that fascinating? A lot of times that's how we read the Bible. Check, I agree to all the terms. Hopefully on Sunday they tell me what that meant. So the Bible says this. You're supposed to, and I'm supposed to, meditate therein. How often? Day and night. 
because if I read in the morning, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven me, and I start to meditate about, what does God want me to do? That means he wants me to be kind. It means he wants to be kind. It means he wants me to be kind. And somebody does something that makes me want to be unkind, I've meditated upon it. Hmm. And he wants me to be tenderhearted. When I see somebody, he's like, those jerks. Oh, I'm supposed to be tenderhearted. See what I'm meditating upon it. And when the circumstances of life start to arise up, the law of the Lord becomes my filter rather than whatever pundit on a podcast or a news station or a mother-in-law or a, a distant uncle says. It becomes the filter for my life because this is how I think. I start to think the way God wants me to think. And here's the discipline. The kicker is this. The discipline has to come individually. You and I must spend time individually in God's word each and every day. Each and every day. It's not, it, it, it's not sufficient to show up. See, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bible says. Not as a group. We will all stand individually before the judgment seat of Christ. You're responsible for this content. I'm responsible for this content. And so individually, you are to be a student of the Word of God. And as you study the Word of God, and I'm for commentaries, and I'm for devotionals, and I'm for books that help us understand. But I'm telling you this, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. He will guide you into all truth. And the Bible teaches us this beautiful, beautiful truth. Happiness comes when I avoid bad counsel, but happiness comes when I get a different delight, which is in the law of the Lord, and I meditate therein day and night. Do you meditate in the Word of God? How much time this week did you listen, read, or study your Bible? Well, I'm busy. Great. You won't be happy. You won't be happy. Because the Word of God says happiness comes through this book. It's not me that says it. It's the Word of God. So that morning meditation, it changes my perspective and then it starts to lead to right choices. Notice what happens. When the word of God is put into my life, verse number three says, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in its season, and its leaf also shall not wither. We did a construction project in our backyard. The only tree that remained was a lemon tree, and we prayed, Lord, spare the lemon tree. And in 2021, uh, we got no lemons from that tree because it didn't get water for about six months poor thing was like, <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> we got the irrigation and everything put back in, and that lemon tree this past, this past October yielded about 35 lemons. And right now, that lemon tree has, you know, dozens and dozens of quarter-size little lemons that are green sitting on the stalks of that tree just waiting for me to pick them and put them in some water this fall. I can't wait for it. And Brianne's going to make some lemon bread, and we'll do some other things. And we'll probably have too many. We'll give them away for free. Why? Because the tree is now planted by water, and it's bringing forth its fruit in its season, 
and its leaf also shall not wither. Notice what the Bible says when you start to plant yourself in the Word of God. Well, my advisor says this isn't a good idea. Oh, my counsel says this isn't a good idea. The scorner says this isn't a good idea. This sinner that I listen to for advice financially on TV says this isn't a good idea. Notice what the Bible says. When you listen and plant yourself in the Word of God, you become planted, you become productive, you become prosperous. The person who wants to be happy, oh, I want to be happy. Okay, plant yourself in the Word of God. And when you plant yourself in the Word of God, you will be productive, your life starts to have meaning, and you will become prosperous. Now, the final thing is this. Happiness is available, it's attainable, but it's also avoidable. You can miss it. I want to be happy. Oh, you can miss it. In verse number four, he says, the ungodly are not so. Notice he uses the same words as the people who are actively doing that which is evil. Those who would mock, those who would scorn. These are actively doing it. The Bible tells us in verse number four that the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. I like to drive long distances. In fact, as a family, we rarely fly. We will oftentimes drive. When we do those long drives, maybe do an overnight drive, the way I keep myself awake is by eating sunflower seeds. You put a big handful of sunflower seeds in your mouth and you just start chewing on them and it keeps you awake, okay? And then you're chewing on it and you get the little sunflower seed out. It's like a small victory. But you have to spit out the shell. And it's really kind of disgusting, honestly. And in Brianna, usually she's asleep when I'm doing this, so I sneak by. But I'll take that plastic water bottle and I'll start spitting the sunflower shells into it. If you know this is disgusting, say yes. But it keeps us alive through the night. And if you've ever driven through Texas, let me tell you, you need sunflower seeds. You spit them out, and you spit them out, and you spit them out. And those sunflower shells, they're really worthless. They, they put them in a bottle. If you're outside, you spit them, and they just fly away. The Bible tells us this, that the ungodly, those who avoid the word of God, they abide in the storehouse of unimportance. Their entire life is as meaningful as an empty sunflower seed shell. He uses the word in verse 4, they're like the chaff that the wind driveth away. In a world that is stuck on purses and shoes and cosmetics and houses and cars and so many other things, it's all going to go away. Well, look, I got so many likes for my selfie. Look, we won the Stanley Cup. And in 10 years, will it matter? When we live our lives focusing on the ungodly as ungodly people, it's like the chaff which the wind driveth away. He says in verse number five, this is amazing, that the ungodly always get punished. Always get punished. Verse five says this, therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the, in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Somebody who does wrong will always get punished. Always, 100% of the time. We say, well, they're rich. Oh, they're famous. They've got nice things. That's not the goal. What's the goal? Happiness. 
So, does anybody, let me ask you this. If you know somebody rich, say yes. If you know an unhappy rich person, say yes. Isn't that amazing? How many of you have ever heard of somebody who's famous that tried to take their own life? Well, they're famous. They're at the top of their career. They were walking the red carpets and everyone wanted to be like them. Why would they try to take their life? Because the game of life is not necessarily about wealth or fame. You know that. The first time, you, if I were to drive up today in a 1985 Mazda Mirage, you would all look at me like, what did he do? And if I'm blaring, life is a highway, you'd still think, man, that's really weird. <laughs> Why? Because those things are temporary and fleeting. And the evil always get punished. Adolf Hitler tried to become the king of the world. Was he happy? And did he get punished? Saddam Hussein, billions of dollars worth in oil reserves, it's not worth it. I want to go into Kuwait. Was he happy? You follow the lifestyles of those who abandon the word of God in their life, and you mark it down in black, and you can underline it in red. They always get caught in their sin. I could talk about political figures of our time. We could talk of historical people of the past. The truth is this. God says this, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. And sometimes they try to compensate for the lack of happiness with alcohol or drugs or wealth or a multitude of relationships and trying to satisfy the urge that only God's word provides. It's the chaff which the wind driveth away, and they always get punished. Why? Because verse 6 says, Therefore, for the Lord, this is beautiful, the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. I love that because it says, the Lord sees you, Mike. And it's not like, oh, the Lord sees me. No, the Lord sees. I'm just doing my best, Lord. Lord, I want to learn from your word today. I see that. Oh, John, I see that. I see that. Good job. The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, Lamar. Isn't that beautiful? Mike, he knows the way of the right. He sees you. Feel like nobody sees me. The Lord sees you. Feel like I'm the only one at work and nobody's giving me credit. The Lord sees you. The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, Greg. Isn't that beautiful? But the way of the ungodly shall perish. Gulp. That's no good. The goal is not wealth, the goal is not fame. The goal is happiness. And the Bible says, you want to be happy? Yeah, I want to be happy, but I, 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 I can't be happy. Oh, happiness is available. Happiness is attainable. But the Bible also shows us that happiness is avoidable if we don't put into practice the things that God's Word says. You can have a happy life. You can have a happy week. You can know happiness in your life. And it's not this preacher saying it. 
Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in his season, and his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like a chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the day of judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous." but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Father, may we practice techniques that bring happiness and not be satisfied with the artificial filling of um, the ungodly, sinful, selfish approach that is so easy for us to embrace. I pray that in this room, men and women would put into their lives a discipline of studying and knowing your word and, and finding happiness. And by faith, Lord, we will commit this truth to our lives. And I ask this in Jesus' name. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.